From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be, right here, right now. Here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Sandra Beck, and we've got a great show today. We're going to talk about an outstanding book. It's a great inspirational book called Win at Losing, and it has a lemon on the front with a straw in it, which <laughs> I just made me laugh right out loud. And um, we've got Sam Weinman, who's our guest today. And the book is about how our biggest setbacks can lead to our greatest gains. And now this is a book that I actually took into the bathtub with me where I do my important reading because I have two kids. I'm a single mom and I'm soul supporting with my own technology company. Um, I need peace and quiet, but winning at losing is something near and dear to my heart because if you asked for my autobiography, it would be failing forward. Every time I try, I fail, but I move forward. I learn things. And so a book that talks about our biggest setbacks leading to our greatest gains is really, really important to me. And I'm so excited to talk to Sam. Now, I do have a message from our sponsor, VTech, today. Now, VTech has this four-line small business phone system, and I have one. It's a great solution for small businesses. And what I like about it is it's affordable and it's really Really easy to install and it has these expandable cordless little uh, handsets you know you can take them and leave them around the house and if you don't charge them well that's up on you we do that all the time um, but they do have this desk set and these handsets and it's cordless and there's a speaker phone and you can add up to 10 extensions so as your business grows your phone system can grow and you're not going to break the bank and because they register wirelessly like this is my nerdy little IT heart um, you can wirelessly register up to nine expandable components. And so they can be located anywhere there's power. And if you've ever had to pay to rewire or wire your office or your home office, um, it gets really expensive. And then if you want to change equipment around, you know, your port's over there, and then there's like 25 feet of phone cord. So anywhere there's power, you can put these handsets. And the four-line phone system also has some really cool things. It's got like an auto attendant for each. Each line. It's got the digital answering machine, which we like, and there's mailboxes for every extension. And the best part of it is that you can put music while you're on hold so I can make everybody listen to the Go-Go's because I'm a total 80s girl and I love 80s music. So if I'm on vacation, guess what? They're singing vacation and the music that puts on hold, you know, makes me laugh. And it's, you know, it's part of my corporate identity. Um and so there is a power failure option, and there's six-party conferencing, which if you want to have six people on your line, good luck with that. But you can. So I want you guys, if you guys are interested in this, um, you can go to VTechPhones, that's V as in Victor, tech as in technology, phones.com, and you can get one for yourself. So they're also at Staples, Office Depot, Office Max. Uh, you can find them there as well. All right, so thank you very much, VTech, for making today's show possible, as well as our guest today, Sam Weinman. Sam, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. 
I love your book. I when you know I get a lot of business books. I get boxes of them from the publishers. I've got four shows and I produce uh, six others, so I get lots of books every week. I open them up and I look at them, and if they're too thick or nasty looking, um, <laughs> I I will look at them if I have to. But your book made me laugh right out loud because it's like, oh my god, there's a lemon with a straw in it, and it's like things suck, like bitter, <laughs> like that just it like resonated with me why'd you put a lemon on the cover right. I mean, it's great no it's fantastic i wish i could take complete credit for it the um frankly it was a book designer whose name i'm embarrassed to say is escaping me now but it was his his design and i loved it right from the start and uh, the only credit i can take for it is that at some point early in the process after um you know when you're in the early stages of the publishing where you're trying to come up with a title for a book i think i mentioned something about lemonade about that being kind of a a theme i wanted to explore and so they went with that and uh i loved it so i think everyone who sees it understands what it's supposed to connote it's a whole idea of how you turn negative situations into a positive or something that you can uh you know potentially make the most out of so uh, I think it's great. It's clever. It's uh, you know it's subtle, but uh, but it works really well for what I was trying to get across. Well, and it was a really you know pardon the pun fresh take yeah. on that whole like you know when life gives you lemons make lemonade like you know everybody's heard that it's trite and true and whatever. But to put a straw in a lemon like it it was really funny and I so. Know. You know, I like that. And I thought it also made the cover, like, I'm a book person, so I'm going right. to, like, dig around your book, and I like to give them as gifts. This is a really nice gift to give to your team, especially, like, I'm going to get a stack of them the next time we have a big corporate snafu or failure, because we have them, Sam. Sure. I mean, that's, you know, when you're trying and you're developing things, and, you know, thankfully, I'm in the tech industry where, you know, failure is as common as anything. So sure. you kind of... I had to learn that failure was a necessary part of getting my job done, but I didn't like it. I was a competitive swimmer. Um, I like to win, and I'm competitive on a good day. So uh, winning at losing is a concept, I think, that we all need to embrace, and you did it in a way that made it fun. Well, thank you. That was was the intent. You know, it's it's a book that deals with heartache and disappointment and some – pretty serious stuff but it also uh attempts to put a lot of those failures in proper perspective i mean you know my background is in sports so there's a lot of sports in the book and certainly when we're talking about losing in sports we're not talking about the end of the world and so you know there is an aftermath that you need to embrace and find what you can take away from it so i was trying to you know kind of reflect that in the tone of the book which is that um you know we fail we fall on our faces and we move on and uh, I would say it's interesting you said, you know, we're going to wait until we have our next failure to give out the book. And I would make the argument that the book isn't just for how you respond to failure, but it's also a book about how you go into various endeavors and how you take risks so that when you are weighing the risks, you realize, well, even if I mess up or even if this doesn't work out, I will extract valuable experience from it. So I guess that's my my subtle way of saying you should buy the book now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm great. I mean, that's, you know, this is talk radio. This is yeah. not, you know, an oligarchy right. or some sort of monarchy. I must rule. And, um, you know, and I think it is interesting because 
when I formed my company, it, it was kind of thumb in its nose. I'll be honest. You know, it was thumbing its nose at corporate America because I got spit out in the um, in the real estate industry. And right. I went to Northwestern. I got my master's degree there, so I got a good you know background with this stuff. But I felt very restrictive, and I'm that type of person that like you know maybe I'm Andre Agassi. I don't know if you want to go back right. and find things. I want to do things my way. Right. And so when I formed my company, I was a single mom with two kids. So I formed my company, Motherhood Incorporated, you know, women to work from home in the tech fields. And everybody was like, you can't do that, Sandra. Your perception of work at home moms is moms coming to work in their PJs. And I'm like, guess what? I'm in my PJs right now and I can still program circles around you. And, um, you know, so it was a little bit cheeky and, you know, kind of in your face kind of thinking. But you know, there were big failures. My first, um, my first and second company endeavors failed. And, you know, I've had to regroup, re, you know, re- redesign things over the last 15 years. And my dad always says, I'm like that. They, I had to look up what it's called. Those Bobo dolls from the sixties, like the right. clown doll where you punch it in the face and then it right. hits the ground and it pops back up. Right. You know, exactly. and thankfully that's in my nature, that competitive nature. But, you know, and then I got two kids that, they they're like Ferdinand the bull under the tree sniffing flowers. Like they weren't given that competitive gene. So when they get knocked down, I've really struggled with how to teach them like to get back up. But that losing is just a part of the creative process. Totally. And I think um, it sounds from your story that one of the great gifts that you were given is the fact that you did fail, like you were exposed to failure and then you live to tell about it. And I think that's kind of one of the underlying messages of the book is that we need to allow ourselves to fail and recognize that we're able to, um, you know, re- recover from it. And we're also supposed to let our kids fail and, you know, let them be exposed to failure in whatever the setting so that they can realize, oh, yeah, that, that hurt really bad and I didn't enjoy that. But I actually, you know, I, I got past it and I was able to extract something positive from it. So, um, you know, when you talk about how your companies fail, I'm sure it hurt a lot and you were in a crummy mood for however long after it took, happened. But the fact that you were able to get past it and, and grow from it is probably a really valuable experience that more people need. Well, and it's one of those things, and this is why I really want to dig into your book. Um, it comes to me naturally. And I think it's because, you know, I always pick on my brothers, you know, on the mm. radio because I'm I'm smaller than they are. I've got like a six foot four brother and <laughs> we grew up in Buffalo where we're yeah. playing hockey all the time. And we would go on the pond and my sister and you know, like Jill and Jen would would not want to be on there. I would play goalie because it was the only way they would let me play. Right. And my brothers would run me over and I'd get nice. back up and run me over and get back up. So I don't know what it's like not to get back up and it's hard to teach something that's innate and that's why I'm so fascinated by your book because if you're built like I'm a little bit Pollyanna like you know I wake up happy I'm sorry it's just the way I wake up and so I'm pretty good at this stuff but I I I didn't have to learn it so I, I have a hard time teaching it and that's what I'm so excited about your book teaching yeah I mean I it's funny because you touch on a couple of really interesting things one is you know, how do you teach your kids to be resilient? Like that's a real um, theme these days. And the reality is that, it, you know, a lot of it is just trial and error. You know, a lot of it is 
allowing them to experience it and finding out for themselves. There's not like a five-step plan to being more resilient. Um, but like you described with your brothers on the pond, by the way, you're a woman after my own heart if you were playing hockey because I'm a big hockey player and uh, <laughs> still am. So, um, But, you know, a lot of it is just because you were put in that environment. And, you know, I think about the difference between, you know, my kids, the older kid and the younger kid. Like it seems like in general, younger kids are a little bit more resilient because, frankly, they're exposed to – you know, the big brother who's tossing, you know, kind of knocking them around and, and they lose a lot in sports and contests and they just realize that's part of the deal. And so, um, mm. you know, again, it goes back to that idea that one of the most important, um, gifts you can give your kid is allow them to fall on their face and let them fall on their face because from that comes the great realization that they are able to, uh, respond to it and they have to sort of, you know, apply some of these problem solving skills that they need. Okay, the book is Win It Losing. Sam Weinman will be back after the break. many calories in 45 minutes of yard work as in 30 minutes of aerobics. Yard work is a total body workout consisting of pushing, pulling, lifting, and carrying. Using a push mower alone can burn 300 to 500 calories in an hour. Raking and bagging with a pooking fork, that's a fork often used in gardening, burns about 330 calories per hour. Cleaning and digging with the dibble, that little hand spade, can burn approximately 400 calories an hour. Stay fit by horb-gorbling. That's just puttering around the yard. To me, a perfect summer day is when the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and the lawnmower is broken. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. son just adopted a dog, a red fox Labrador named Scout. There is no better psychologist in the world to help you feel good, like a happy-go-lucky Norse Boris puppy licking your face. Dogs are really smart. If you think dogs can't count, try putting three dog biscuits in your pocket and then giving Fido only two of them. Your dog will be snuzzling or poking around with his nose to find the last biscuit. If people are really smarter than dogs, why are we the ones walking along behind them with the pooper scooper? The reason a dog has so many friends is that he wags his tail instead of his tongue. Even though owning a dog can cause us to become dartle dum doos or someone who spent all of their energy, dogs reward us by giving us their all. It's the best deal man has ever made. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. Hey, 
guys and dolls. This is Sandra Beck of Coach Talk Radio, and I'm here with Sam Weinman. And the book of the hour is Win at Losing, How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Gains. I'm sorry, can lead to our greatest gains. And we're talking about resiliency, and resiliency is such a hard thing to teach because when I was growing up, and I grew up, you know, on the Upper East Coast in the hockey belt, and you just were told to get up. If you got hit in the thigh with a puck and you had a bruise the size of Toronto, you just sucked it up and you kept playing. And there wasn't a lot of room in my household. And I was raised in a German Polish household. So there wasn't a lot of room for complaining and crying and whining. And as a single mom raising my boys, I know the other moms and the other business mothers are, or business owners are like, Oh my God, Sandra Beck is so tough. Cause you know, when my kid gets knocked down on the soccer field and somebody's running out with a pen light to look at his eyes to see if he got a concussion, I'm like, get up, get up. He didn't hit you that hard. (laughs) But if you don't say get up, like my brothers are always like, get up or stop crying. Like it's not that bad. It isn't that bad. You know, I still have all my limbs, both eyes work. And I think my brain is in the right place, but, and I'm not saying we shouldn't be careful and shouldn't be quiet and considerate to our kids and our people, la, 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 la. But, if we are always worried about a head injury or a, you know, hangnail or an infection, how do we raise resilient kids? And yeah. my my older son, he's 13 now, um, he's been staying up late at night because he's like a DC comic freak. And he reads his comic books. Then he's got to watch like Flash and Supergirl and all these things. And he's got, you know, sports. He's got all these other things to do. And I, you know, Sam, I'm like saying, look, dude, you got to go to bed. Like you're, 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 you're not doing well in math because you're tired. Smart kid, honors math, but nobody can do it when you're tired. And finally, I just said, you know what? Screw it. Go ahead, kid. Stay up. Knock yourself out. And he did. And his grade went down to an F. And that was really hard for me to watch him go through all those emotions because nobody likes to fail. (laughs) I'll tell you, he went to bed last night at nine o'clock, you know, no 1030, 1145, you know, nonsense because he's got to get his grade back up because he doesn't like seeing that F. And I'd rather see him get an F in eighth grade than get it in college or when it really matters. It's so funny. Um, there was a great, I saw it somewhere on social media. It was a school, uh, that had a sign out front. It was like a middle school about, um, you know, if you're here to drop something off for your kid, um, don't, you know, turn back around and leave because your kid needs to figure out they need to bring everything on their own. And I've, you know, I talk about my son, we deal with the same thing. You know, once in a while he'll forget a book that he was supposed to bring to school and he says, dad, can you, can you bring it to school and get in trouble? And the best thing I can do for him, and I can't say I've always followed through on this, but the best thing you can do in those situations is let them, um, suffer the consequences of not having what they want because the, the, the most, um, the easiest way they'll learn it is to, you know, go through the pain of whatever inconvenience arises from forgetting something. Because if we constantly are there as a crutch for them, um, they are going to continue to rely on us and they're not going to develop the skills to, to, uh, you know, kind of handle these situations on their own. And, um, like I said, as a parent, it's a really difficult thing to do because we, we don't want to deal with the tears and, um, all the sort of anger that might arise from, from, you know, letting them saying no. Yes. From saying no. Yeah. From saying no, but it's, it's a, it's a really, um, important step in parenting. Well, and it's an important step in a company too. Like one of the things 
I find, Sam, I work with a lot of millennials, millennials, because I'm in tech and I'm the old broad on the group and I'm like kicking it old school going, you got to learn your dogs, you know, you got to learn your your basic, Um, you know, but these kids come to me and they're working and they're great kids. Don't get me wrong. But no has become like a dirty word in their language. And the instantness, like instant messaging, instant texting, instant everything. Like, you know, we're not in the old facts of contract days. We're in auto sign, docu sign, boom, done, 15 seconds, the thing is transaction is over. Um, and so patience and um, no sure. are big fundamental parts of losing. See, because when you lose, Mm-hmm. It's a slow, agonizing process. Sure. You know, it's not fast. And a lot of these solutions are not quick and they can't be solved with two texts and a, you know, a DocuSign. And so one of these things that, you know, I want to talk about is in our high speed, high everything environment, you know, yeah, you can lose quickly most of the time, but, but the losing process generally feels very slow and it sticks with you. Completely. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that makes, by, by nature, what makes losing painful is the fact that, um, it, it sticks, you know, it sticks with you. Like you said, it's something that you have to fight through and you have to eventually kind of wrap your brain around what went wrong. And one of the sort of important steps that I talk about in losing is, um, going through that kind of inventory or self-analysis that in, invariably um, ensues when you have a setback. Like you have to have that kind of post-mortem like, okay, what went wrong here? How did I mess up? How did I, um, how did I miss this? And what can I learn from it? And the reality is, is that you're not given that opportunity uh, to do that unless you have some time. And that's where the painful com- part comes from, which is like you have to kind of look at things really analytically. So, um, you know, if it was really quick and the kind of the pain was instantaneous, then you don't feel compelled to really deal with it. But when it's drawn out and you have to kind of uh, marinate in the misery a little bit, uh, that's when you can really find out a lot about what went wrong. Well, and, you know, there's <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, but I played in a, a competitive adult softball league when I first got divorced because I, I really needed something to do that, like, I wasn't sitting home wallowing. And, you know, I had my job and I had my kids and I'm building my company and everything, but I needed to, like, go out and hit things. And so I studied Krav Maga <laughs> and then I, I, I played in this adult and it was very competitive. Everybody was a college athlete. Some of them had played college ball or AAA ball. And, you know, so I, it was really daunting for me to join the this, this group and I had to drive like 45 minutes to get there and you know it was a big deal um, but the coach drove me absolutely bananas he used to yell at me back an error of omission or commission and I'm like I do not have a dictionary at third base like I don't know what you're saying and he would yell at me and you know one of the things that I found because I I am a tech person, so I am, you know, I could normally, I didn't have my phone at third base, so I couldn't pick out, you know, look up the difference between omission and commission. Um, And it, you know, you know, it, it was one of those things where it's like, I made a mistake. I made an error at third and it was a bad error. It probably cost us the game, but 
I, I still don't know commission and omission. I just remember the sting <laughs> of being yelled at for an error of omission or commission. But there are times sometimes when you can do all the soul searching you want, but if the real estate industry tanks, if the guy hits a, you know, a fireball at you and your, your re- reaction time isn't fast enough, right. you know, there's some things you can't correct. And that's where, like in the era of video games, and, you know, I talk about millennials a lot because we do have a big millennial listenership here um and you know in video games you got do-overs you know you get seven lives you wait 15 minutes your lives regenerate and off you go well i had a really hard time as i got older too where my reactions weren't as fast and there's nothing you can do you cannot go and work out any harder you can't do these things but that happens in business too there's there's Mm -hmm. things we can't control Oh, completely. And that's actually a, um, a really important point that I make as well, which is that um, there is a difference between loss and failure. And so loss is something that happens to you. It's an event, and it's not necessarily um, something that's in your, within your control. It might be, uh, but a failure is within your control. A failure is something you did wrong. It would be, like you said, it's a an error of either commission or omission or where it's something that you had a, had a say in. And part of what – of the way we deal with loss is when we recognize, you know what? Uh, when I look at everything really closely, I realize it was outside of my control. There was nothing I can do. And you know, maybe we don't learn from that in the same way, but we do take away a really valuable – uh, lesson, which is that, well, first of all, we're not beating ourselves up because, you know, we realize, okay, it was outside my control because sometimes you need to kind of give yourself a pass. Um, the, the dangerous part is when people go too far in that direction, when they are making mistakes, when they're, it is their fault and they're not recognizing that and they're not seeing that they did have a role in it. And that's so, you know, between the two, I always say, Better to err on the side of uh, being hard on yourself and being uh, – there's a psychologist who uses the phrase using healthy self-doubt, which I think is a really good thing um, because the alternative is that you're is – the, is the worst case scenario, which is you messed up and you're not even learning from it. Well, and it's funny because, you know, your failure versus loss thing, you know, I I looked at it a little different. I'm not going to tell you how to write your book, but um, I looked at (laughs) – There's always a a paperback version. (laughs) There you go, the paperback version. But I looked at it more as a two-step process because I took took your failure versus loss thing and I – you know, that kind of, you know, like like the – you know, A and B side. Mm-hmm. And I tried to apply it first to my company, you know, and the two failures or something or loss that I had, and then one to my divorce, you know, because mm-hmm. th- these were big, you know, things in my life. And what I found is that I needed to take the divorce and the company changes, we'll say, and I needed to put it through the failure meat grinder first. Mm-hmm. And when it, when it passed through the failure meat grinder, it went to the loss and, you know, kind of like what I looked at, I looked at my divorce, you know, my ex-husband left me and he left me for someone else. And now, you know, eight years later I can go, wow, we were not a good fit. There right. was nothing I could do to be the person he wanted. And the person mm-hmm. that he ended up marrying is nothing like me, you know, like apples and oranges. So, but I had to go through the whole failure model mm-hmm. before 
before I could identify the loss, I had to examine, you know, what, what I did, what I didn't do, and what I couldn't do before I kind of gave it the loss label. So I looked at it more formulaic. We're going to put it through the failure meat grinder. Then we're going to assign it the loss. We're not going to go right to loss because then I think you lose the good juice, the meat. Now, I need to take us to commercial break. We're visiting today with Sam Weinman. His book is Win at Losing, How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Our Greatest Gains. Can find it wherever books are sold. And if you like today's episode, check us out on iTunes. You can also find us at CoachTalkRadioShow.com. We will be back after the break with Sam Weinman, and we're going to really, really get into this failure versus loss and how we can apply it to really get the juice out of our life and make a difference. We'll be back after the break. relaxing and reading through mental floss when I came across these rip-roaring R-words. I recognized a few of them, such as the old 18th century Scottish word ramfieselt, which means fatigued or exhausted. A couple more great R-words are ruckatly tuckatly, meaning crumpled or gathered up and ruched. Rouge is commonly used today to describe a flattering blouse or top. Rabbity is a 16th century word for an innocent fool, while Raffle Coppin is a rash, impetuous person, or maybe just somebody that gets carried away with our words. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The American Dental Association estimates that 50% of American adults have some form of periodontal disease. Tooth loss is not the only result. According to Harvard Medical School, gum disease increases the risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, chronic respiratory disease, pregnancy complications, and even dementia. Signs of periodontal disease range from gingivitis, which is mild redness and swelling of the gums, to advanced periodontitis, which is complete destruction of the tooth's bony structure. Inflammation caused by bacteria destroys tissue in the mouth and can cause a host of health problems. Preventing periodontal disease by brushing at least twice a day, flossing at night, not smoking, having a healthy diet, and getting regular dental checkups is the right plan of action. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business every way. Taking care of business. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here on Coach Talk Radio. And our guest today is Sam Weinman. He wrote a book called Win at Losing: How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Our Greatest Gains. Now, there are some old, like I forget what you call him. My dad says him. He's 83. Like the old stuff he says, he's like, oh well, you know, the greatest learning is to fail. Right. And you know, we hear those things all the time, but. 
I'm, you know, a total nerd where I have to kind of deconstruct that and go, well, well, what do we get? Like, you know, our biggest setbacks can either knock us down, they can educate us, or they can give us the chocolate chip cookie. Um, so, you know, we can look for these gifts. But when people read your book, Sam, what do you want them to walk away with? Because you didn't write this. You know, you're, you seem like a nice enough guy. You're not a, like an ego freak that's going to come on here and, you know, tell me, oh, I'm so wonderful because I did this. I think you're really a person of service. So what is it when somebody buys your book, what are they going to walk away with? What are they going to get from it? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question. Uh, I, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, I'm hoping they come away with a little bit of uh, inspiration from other people, not necessarily for me, but when you see how universal an experience um, losing and failure is and how much it hurt people and how uh, people can emerge from, um, you know, the real depths of whatever it is they're doing, whether it's their their careers or their relationships or, or um, you know, sports – when they can emerge from that and come back stronger, I hope that that serves as inspiration for, you know, whatever it is they're doing. And again, I, as I said earlier, it's not so much just about how you respond when, uh, when things go south on you. It's also about how you go into endeavors. If you're starting a business and you're worried about, um, what's going to happen if you fall on your face, this is hopefully, there's hopefully a message in there for someone like you because you'll know, well, um, the worst thing that can happen is that I – this thing tanks and I come away with some valuable experience, which is not to sugarcoat it. I mean this is not – I'm not trying to put a um, – you know, like make this a panacea. Like the whole point of this is that um, losing hurts and it's it's painful, but um, I always say you know, I'd much rather win, but hopefully um, – it makes losing less bad, <laughs> um, and you know from that comes a real, a real uh, appreciation for the process that we go through and what we can gain from it. Well, and there's certain things like there's certain losses that I carry forward. Now, when I was younger, you know, this is going to date me, but when I was younger, I was watching uh, the Bills play the Giants, and there oh, was. Boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a term in our house that somebody Norwooded it. Scott Norwood, the, the guy that shanked the ball, yes. lost the Super Bowl by one point. You know, he could have won, but he lost. And, like, the entire, like, I'm sorry, but the entire eastern seaboard of Buffalo Bills fans just went like, oh. Right. And I will never forget that because I took my fist I punched my brother in the back so hard. He was sitting kind of on the floor next to me, mm -hmm. punched him like as hard as I could. And he's like, oh, my God, like that's the Norwood tattoo. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in Norwood is the when you come so close, so yeah. close and you still miss, you know, and, you know, that kick for him, you know, 25 years later, I read an article about him, you know, that 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 memory still makes him cry. And, you know, that missed kick, like, I will take that to my grave. I'll be like, you know, one foot in the ground pulling dirt over my head, my last breath. I'm like, Norwood should have hit it. Yeah. Um, but people have to live with some of these losses. Like, I don't know, like, from your standpoint, when it losing, yeah. like, 
how, you know, because he did, he, he kind of fell out of the spotlight sure. for the last 25 years, you know, and I think of his picture in his uniform that is just defeat. Yeah. And quite frankly, anybody talks about Buffalo Bills history, Norwood comes up. Sure, of course. It's funny, I actually, um, at one point in the early stage of this book, I pursued that Buffalo Bills team uh, as a potential topic because I wanted to know how they, you know, um, how they processed that whole experience in their lives and whether it haunted them, whether they grew from it. There's all kinds of things. And actually, Norwood's an example, and Jim Kelly, the quarterback on the team, is an example about that shared experience of losing four straight Super Bowls and going through that agony. Certainly, no one would choose that. They would obviously prefer to have won and become heroes, but it was a real unifying experience. There's, um, you know, Jim Kelly is, as you know, beloved in um, in Buffalo because he handled that episode and that part of his career with great grace. And Scott Norwood, there was a reunion after um, you know X number of years later where he returned and he got a standing ovation. And you know because uh, to me those guys are in some ways like you said symbols of the ultimate failures, but they're also in a way symbols of resilience because they're people who have lived their lives and people realize that they had to kind of carry that cross for for a long time and they um they they emerge from it and they're you know they have kids and they have families and they have careers and they've found a way to kind of power through it um however painful and so you know in some ways you know very few of us are going to have a scott norwood moment where our great failure is going to appear on national tv but we all have these moments in our lives where we feel like nothing possibly good can come from this and ultimately something can well, and I look at that, you know, because I, you know, I come from Buffalo, obviously, and, you know, real small town in Buffalo. And, you know, there are Norwoods in every town. There are Norwoods sure. in every high school. There are Norwoods, you know, and I look at the four falls of Buffalo, you know, the four Super Bowls that, you know, um, we didn't win. Um, it's it's bitter you know, sure, as a of fan. It's bitter. I, you know, I can't imagine getting up every day as Scott Norwood did. And, you know, to me, 25 years later, like he is the symbol of resiliency. He did go on and, you know, have a family, have a career, have whatever, whatever he did. Um, you know, but that coping mechanism, you know, is something that that mystifies me because, you know, do you do you avoid it? Do you honor it? Do you feel it like what in your experience, you know, as writing this book, winning at losing or win at losing when you lose, when you have yeah. one of these like and these are a big one, you know, that Norwood kick was was yeah. legendary. Um, but it's really what's legendary in your life. You know, a, a Norwood kick might be somebody in a small town, some big, huge failure that everybody knows. So he's yeah. the Norwood of his town. We all have those. Like, sure. what do you do? Like, what do you what would you teach? What would you say to Scott Norwood today? Oh boy. Uh, first of all, I would say, you know, you have to own it. You have to own these moments. Like if you're given the choice between repressing it and trying to sort of compartmentalize it and forget it ever happened, I feel like that is a, that is a mistake. Um, because it's, you know, it's obviously something that's, um, in some ways defining you. And so rather than shy from that, I think you should own you know, only opportunity that arises from it. In his case, um, you know, I, I, you know, I feel like 
he can look back and see, you know, what he can learn from that episode. Obviously, you know, he's not going to kick uh, anymore in the NFL. So in some ways it's not, but like, you know, what did it, what did, what, what did it, what did it formulate in his character? What did it, what kind of connections did it lead to? What kind of, um, you know, strength did he derive from having to go through something so painful and living from it? So, um, you know, it's, I, I don't, I don't profess to say that these are easy steps and it would certainly be much easier if the, the kick went through the uprights and he could just live in it. But, but in some ways, um, he's given this amazing opportunity to, to be a symbol of persistence. So I would say own that and, 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 uh, and try to, and try to make good out of it. Well, and you know, here's the thing is that was, what does it take to set up a snap and kick it? Like, I don't know, four seconds. Yeah, five something seconds? Like this. yeah exactly. You know, so you just go, how, can, you know, this to me, and you know, and I don't know Scott Norwood, you know, and I, 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 I don't know what I would say if I met him, but I would say, you know, the fact that, you know, he went on to, you know, to be married and, you know, they had twin kids and their kids just turned 20 and 21 or something. I don't know, whatever the ages there are. He did not let four seconds of his life define him. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a big part of it, too. It's, you know, it's there's the part about what can I learn from it? But there's also the part of, you know, what other positives or, you know, what are the things that I can balance that disappointment against? Yes, I blew the Super Bowl, but I also um, I have a lot of things to be grateful for. I mean, we talk a lot about gratitude in our culture, and I think there's a there's a real reason, which is that you can constantly focus on the things that have gone wrong in your life. And I like me personally, you know, I've been blessed a thousand times over with, you know, all the good things, you know, family and health and all those things. But I could probably be really negative about X, Y, and Z. And I just feel like that's not a way to live. You're, you're much things you have and for the opportunities you're given, uh, as opposed to lamenting all the things that haven't gone right. And that applies to, that applies to all of us. You know, the most persistent or the most, um, the happiest people choose to be optimistic, not because they're necessarily the luckiest people or the most fortunate, but because they just have, have chosen to focus on things that have gone right rather than always lamenting things that have, uh, have worked against them. Well, and I look at, you know, and you guys can look up Scott Norwood or you can look up the Buffalo Bills from that time. And, you know, you can really learn the lesson of if if uh, like Scott Norwood isn't going to let four seconds or shanked football define his life, then you can get over whatever happened in your life. Like we have a choice and we cannot be defined by four seconds. We cannot be defined by one shank or five shanks. Like you just keep up and get going. And, you know, that's the one thing that I hope that everybody listening today takes away from today's show and goes out and buys this book, win at losing, you know, and look at Norwood and go, Hey guys, shanked it on national international television (laughs) and lost the Super Bowl. You know, yes, a team has to lose collectively. It shouldn't be all put on his shoulders. But when the going got tough, you know, he shot it whatever to the left. Happened. Own it. Get over it. Get up and move on. It's not the end of the world. You know, the sky did not fall down. Buffalo Bills still cheer him and everybody honors him. He had a great career prior to that. So it can't be eclipsed. So don't let... 
these losses or failures define you. I think at the end of the day, one of the things that I've taken away from Sam Wyman's book, Win at Losing, How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Our Greatest Gains, is we don't let a failure or a loss define us. And if you want to figure out how, look up Scott Norwood, look up some of these um, people that have not let life get them down because a market changed, a business fell apart. This is Sandra Beck for Coach Talk Radio. I want to thank Sam Weinman for being my guest today. We'll be back again next week with another thought-provoking show. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up Talk Radio is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they'd always dreamed of. Each week, Powered Up Talk Radio explores innovative ways to stay focused in a world that's experiencing dramatic changes. Find out who you are, discover your purpose, and challenge yourself to be all you can be. 